Let's open our Bibles to Luke chapter 4 this evening. Luke chapter 4. Let me read to you the first 13 verses of the fourth chapter of Luke as it describes our Lord Jesus Christ having been baptized. The Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness where he fasted 40 days and 40 nights and was tempted of the devil, but prepared by the Lord for a wonderful ministry of three and a half years. And this was part of his preparation. For those of you that choose to follow the Lord, you should be thankful if he was to delight in you so much that he would bring adversity into your life like he did the Lord Jesus Christ immediately after his baptism. But he was driven into the wilderness to be tempted there 40 days and 40 nights. And let's read the account that Luke gives us of that event. And Jesus, being full of the Holy Ghost, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being 40 days tempted of the devil. And in those days he did eat nothing. And when they were ended, he afterward hungered. And the devil said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, command this stone that it be made bread. And Jesus answered him, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. And the devil, taking him up into an high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whomsoever I will, I give it. If thou therefore wilt worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee, to keep thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. The devil didn't leave the Lord Jesus Christ altogether. He left him for a short while. Because our Lord Jesus, as we should be reflecting before next Sunday evening, did endure an onslaught of the devils of hell more than any man. Right. When he went to the cross for our redemption. I want to focus on one of these temptations, and it's the last one here in Luke's account. Our Lord Jesus Christ answered the devil with Scripture for the first two temptations, and so in the third temptation, the devil brought the Scripture. Now, the devil, when he's operating at his best, always brings Scripture because he and his ministers are made ministers of light. They become apostles of righteousness, as 2 Corinthians chapter 11 reminds us. Right. So two times the Lord Jesus Christ answers with the Word of God. The third time, the devil brings the Word of God. And here we're going to see a lesson about life, simple lesson tonight, on how we ought to live, and a reminder that the way we study the Bible is the way Jesus Christ used the Bible. We don't operate with the sound of words. Right. We look for their sense. The devil tried to use Psalm 91 and the sound of those words to tempt Jesus to jump off the top of the temple and to try to bring one of those promises to bear. But Jesus answered him with another scripture that modified Psalm 91, and that is, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Heavenly Father, let the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Let us look at Luke 4 and verse 9. And he, that is the devil, brought him, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, 
If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down from hence. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus answering said unto him, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Jesus had said twice, It is written. So the devil comes and says, It is written. So Jesus responds with, It is said, and quotes another verse that puts Psalm 91 in its right light. Psalm 91 is a great psalm that uh, we actually discussed it in the hospital a week ago. A thousand shall fall at thy side and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. The, the pestilence, the plague, the arrow that flieth by day, the pestilence by night. You know that psalm, Psalm 91? It says in it a promise for the godly that if they will not fall to be damaged against the stones because the angels of God will bear them up. And Satan knew that if that promise extended to us as the godly, it surely extended to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he dared Jesus Christ, if you're the Son of God, prove it. Prove your faith in God by casting yourself off this pinnacle of the temple, and let's see if God will fulfill his promise from Psalm 91, verses 11 and 12. But Jesus didn't have to throw himself off the temple. Jesus could go down by the stairway. So to presume on a promise of God is to tempt God and to sin, and therefore Jesus would not cast himself off. Did Jesus have great faith in the promises of God? Yes. Amen. Greater than all of us combined. He trusted God, but if he would have cast himself off in that situation, he would have hit the stones below. Because the Lord will bear us up when we are obeying him, not when we are presuming on him, not when we are getting ourselves into trouble, not when we are taking risks that we shouldn't take and then trusting his promises to get us out of the messes we have got ourselves into. Now, if you get yourself into a mess and you repent of it, the Lord can get you out of that. But when you put yourself consciously into a mess, the Lord hasn't promised to get you out of that. And here Jesus Christ was at the instigation of the devil to jump off and see if Psalm 91 would be fulfilled in his life. That would have been a very trying temptation. He had, the word of God was at stake. Is the word of God true? Did Jesus have faith in the word of God? He has quoted scripture twice. Now the devil is confronting him with the scripture. Oh, you want to go with the scriptures? Well, this is written. Prove, me, prove to me that you really want to trust the scriptures. And so we use the sound bite that sounds real good. He shall give the angels charge over thee to keep thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. That is a promise of God, and that promise is true, and that promise is certain, and that promise is sure. But that promise doesn't apply when we're in a situation where we don't need to use it, right. where we can go down by the stairs, we don't have to cast ourselves off. And so we have a lesson of life. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And we tempt him by presuming on his promises and not living the obedient lives that we ought to. Jesus did not have to cast himself off. He was not in an emergency or a necessity where he had to fall off the temple. He would have been presuming on God by taking an unnecessary risk. You know, the temple was quite dramatic in Jerusalem. This is not Solomon's temple. This is much larger than Solomon's temple. This is not Zerubbabel's temple. It's much larger than Zerubbabel's temple. This is Herod's temple. How long was it in the building? According to the Jews in John chapter 2 and verse 20, 46 years the Herods had been adding to this structure. The highest point on it, according to Josephus, was the royal portico of Herod's portico against the wall of the, of the area that was the Temple Mount. Standing on that portico, you were 150 feet above the marble deck below 
that was the platform for the whole temple, but there was a ravine called the ravine of the brook Kydron right there beside the temple that was 700 feet from the top of the pinnacle, the top of the portico, all the way to the bottom. Josephus said, and he was the captain of the Jewish armies, standing in that position, a grown man could not help but be very dizzy because of the height. And so Satan leads Jesus into Jerusalem up to the top of the temple, and there he stands and he quotes the Bible to him. Now, Brother Chris has told me, children, that a couple of weeks ago when you found out that, because you read this passage, that the devil can use the Bible sometimes, you were surprised. Oh, but the devil knows to use the Bible on us. Because are we going to listen to the Koran? Are we going to be moved by the Hindu Vishnas or any other holy book of the world? No, but he will corrupt Scripture. And he will take Scripture out of its context. And he will misapply Scripture so we can use the Bible to get us into trouble in our lives. So yes, the devil can use the Bible. But the devil didn't use the Bible rightly. The devil tried to get Jesus to jump off the temple when he had another way to come down. And that would have been taking a risk that Jesus didn't need to take. That would have been asking God to perform a miracle when a miracle wasn't needed. Now, we'll need miracles in our lives, and we'll ask the Lord for them. But until then, we want to do the best we can at obeying him and using the means that he gives us. I hope I've made that plain enough because we want to talk about the application of it. I, I, for, uh, let me make one more comment here about this. This is how much of the world uses the Bible. Right. They'll simply open it and find a verse and use it for the sound of its words. Now the sound of those words from Psalm 91 are this. If you fall off a high place, like the royal portico of the temple, and there's stone below you, God has angels that will bear you up in their hands, and you will not be hurt. That's what it sounds like. And do you know what? The sound is true. The sound is certain. God will preserve His children from harm. Right. However, that verse is being pulled out of its context and it's being misapplied by thinking you can just go ahead and create a necessity for God to help you by taking on a risk that you shouldn't take. And that's what the devil was trying to get Jesus to do. And that was to presume on God by asking him to do a miracle when a miracle wasn't needed. And that's tempting the Lord thy God, and it's a sin, and Jesus wouldn't do it. And the devil knew that it was a sin. Brother Matthew pointed this out to me this afternoon. You know, the devil wouldn't have come with that temptation unless the devil knew it was a sin. Right. Because the devil knows the nature of God, and that to push the Lord thy God like that is not right. And so the devil tried to trick the Lord Jesus Christ into jumping off that temple, but he wouldn't do it, and he answered with another verse, and that is how we study the Bible. You know, when we look at a verse, I'll say, but the sense of that verse is modified by this verse, and by this verse, and that's how we use the Bible, because that's how we're taught to use it. Right. We compare spiritual things with spiritual, and Jesus gives us an example right here. I hope you enjoy that, but the devil's the one that wants to use a verse for the sound of its words, Jesus wants to put the sense on those words so that we don't presume on their sound. The promise is true. You can go to Psalm 91 in your hour of need, and we just talked about it in the hospital a week ago because it's a very comforting psalm. Very comforting, especially for a man that fell. Is the Lord taking care of him though he fell? Did angels bear him up? Have we talked about what could have happened? Have we talked about what would have happened in other generations with this same fall. Mm -hmm. There were a whole lot of other consequences that could have been much worse. The Lord bore him up. We can trust that psalm, but we don't go looking for opportunities to get ourselves into predicaments where we need the psalm. Then we're tempting the Lord our God. Now there's a whole lot of subjects that I want to briefly cover tonight, and I'm going to probably step on everybody's toes so no one's going to be happy with me when the sermon ends. But I don't care that much 
because it's the Word of God and I want us all to live holy lives and I want us to live wise lives. And holy and wise lives mean we want to learn exactly what do the words, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, mean to us in the year 2003. Now the title of my message is Birth Control, Job Hunting, and Skydiving. And let's see if those three subjects, along with about ten more, help us think of how we apply the words, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God because we can tempt him in ways like that, and we want to avoid that as far as the Lord will show us. Jesus could go down by the stairs, so Jesus should have gone down by the stairs. He didn't need to presume on a miracle of God, and we don't want to get ourselves in a predicament where we have a choice of needing a miracle of God to get us out of it. That is tempting the Lord our God. Now there's other ways you can tempt him. Israel tempted God so many times by murmuring about their circumstances, by not being thankful for their blessings, by complaining, by doubting his promises. You know, when they were out in that wilderness, they wanted to go back into Egypt, and it's called tempting the Lord their God because they tempted him by saying, you can't take care of us out here. They doubted his promises. See, he had led them out there. Therefore, his miraculous provision for them was a good thing. They had not gone out there foolishly and then were asking for miraculous provision. He led them out there, but then they didn't believe his promises. And so there's other ways that we can tempt the Lord our God, but we don't want to tempt. Someone has said, God will not do for you what you can do for yourself. That's partially true. But that's not always true, because sometimes you get yourselves into a situation where you can't get yourself out, and the Lord will take care of you there. And sometimes you should have done something better, but if you repent of it, the Lord will have mercy upon you and still get you out of it. Right. You know, there used to be a group of people in this very city. They were called snake-handling Pentecostals. Now, they were the perfect fulfillment of violating this verse. In this city was a group of people that called themselves a church, and when they would come together, they would all bring their big boxes, big boxes filled with rattlesnakes. And their service was to get all those rattlesnakes out and to hold them in their arms and be dancing around to their African music, begging God that they wouldn't be bit by the rattlesnakes and filled with poison and die. And oh, they could quote the Bible. And what verse would they quote? There's only one place they could go. Do you know what it is? It's Mark 16, 17 and 18. And by the way, you can rent this from the Greenville Public Library. It's about a one or two hour documentary of this group of special Pentecostals that lived in the Greenville area. And they were the snake handlers. Here are the verses. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. And if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Those people would come together with mason jars full of arsenic and poison, and they would bring their rattlesnakes, and their service was to drink poison and to be handling a whole armful of rattlesnakes. And they used Mark 16, 17, and 18 to justify it. That is tempting the Lord thy God. Do you know what the Lord meant by taking up serpents? It's the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 27 or 28 putting a stick on the fire before some unbelievers and that viper coming out of the fire and fastening itself on his hand. And all those unbelieving barbarians seeing that viper hanging on Paul's hand saying, God's vengeance has struck this criminal. And Paul just shook it off into the fire and nothing happened to him showing the power of God. Now did Paul take the snake in his pocket? Did Paul take the snake in a box? Did Paul bring snakes looking to presume on this promise of God? No, no, and no. The Lord sent the snake. And when the Lord sent the snake, then the Lord's promise comes to bear. But we don't bring boxes of snakes to church 
to see if we can fulfill Mark 16, verses 17 and 18. Those verses were long ago fulfilled, and they long ago passed away, because those were the sign gifts of the apostles, who were dumb fishermen, who were out telling a message throughout the world that a man named Jesus of Nazareth had risen from the dead. It helped the credibility of their, their message when they could shake off a serpent into the fire. Do you follow that simple fact about the New Testament? Mm -hmm. And if men poisoned them, they didn't bring the poison. If men poisoned them, nothing would happen to them. They could drink deadly things, and it wouldn't touch them, and men would be converted by the power of their sign gifts, knowing these men represent the Most High God, and their message must be true, even though we haven't seen the risen Lord Jesus Christ. But to bring snakes to church for a verse. Now remember, they've got a verse. Is the verse true? Yeah. Yes, in its context it's true. In its proper timing it's true. But is it true for us now? And is it true for those who bring a box of snakes? No, it's not. And that's tempting the Lord their God. And the little markers out in their church cemeteries show that they were tempting the Lord their God. You've got to watch the video because it interviews some of them. And the question will be, but why is your brother dead and buried out here in the cemetery? Well, now, how do all charismatics answer that question? They didn't have enough faith. That one must not have had enough faith. That's cute. That's easy. That covers all bets. And that, this, I'm telling you a true story. That's tempting the Lord, their, their God. But now, brethren, we don't bring snakes to church, and so we don't want to make any more fun of snake-handling Pentecostals who've got confused about the sound of words rather than the sense of those words in their proper Bible context. This is how we are different. This is why I preach to 80 instead of 800. This is why I preach to 80, and our website is only viewed by a few instead of millions because we go by the sense of words rather than the sound of words. The devil and the natural man loves the sound of words because it's a lie. And a lie is always more popular than the truth. I want you to understand that, children. We try to understand every verse in the Bible in the way that God wants us to understand it. They will say, well, the Bible means what it says and says what it means. Really? Well, then where's your box of snakes? You know, my answer to that would be the Bible means what it means. And it says what it says because there's a difference between what a verse says and what a verse means, and God expects us to find that meaning. Right. They read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense. Amen. They didn't just read in the book of the law of God distinctly. That would have given them the words or the sound of them. They gave the sense, and that's what we want to do. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Our Lord Jesus Christ was magnificent. When the Bible was turned on him, he knew how to answer that verse. Are you good enough with the Word of God that if you were confronted with Psalm 91 in a situation like Jesus, or if you were confronted with Mark 16, 17, like the snake handlers, that you would be able to answer? Deuteronomy 6, 16 is the verse. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Let's, let's hit a few subjects that might help us live wise and holy lives. Birth control. Our position in this church is simple. Any birth control not causing abortions is a matter of Christian liberty. Christian liberty means you can do it, you don't have to do it. But we don't judge each other for our position on that subject. Because the Bible doesn't address it. The Bible doesn't care. God doesn't care if you practice it or if you don't practice it. So that's how we don't care. It's every man's choice, but I would say this. Every man's choice of whether he practices birth control or not is dependent upon this rule. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Because you can get yourself into a predicament where you're tempting the Lord God to take care of you by having too many children. Now, I think I have a little bit of room to speak on this subject. Because as far as I know, I have the most in this room. And so I hope you'll give me a little bit of liberty to speak on that subject. And I'm thankful for every one of them. But I'm also thankful that there's birth control. Because if I didn't believe in birth control, I'd be working on number 45. And seven was enough work. 45 is too much work. I couldn't feed 45. I couldn't train 45. 
I'd lose my entire spiritual, physical, and emotional equilibrium. I'd be a mess. The Bible is silent on the subject. Onan was killed in Genesis chapter 38. I hope that all the adults in here are familiar with that passage. Onan was killed in Genesis chapter 38, not for practicing birth control, but for violating the law of God and the order of his father Judah to go in and raise up seed to his brother. And the man was so selfish, he would not go in and give his brother's name a son through his brother's wife, widowed wife. Are you with me? Yeah. That's what Genesis 38 condemns. It doesn't condemn birth control, so don't let anyone take you to Genesis 38. Every family and every man can do whatever they want because it's a matter of Christian liberty. It's just like drinking alcohol, drinking wine. Drinking wine is a matter of Christian liberty. God made it. God made it good. God made it for a purpose in its proper place, used for its proper purpose. It's a good thing. You don't like wine? You don't, you don't feel comfortable drinking wine? Terrific. Don't drink wine. But don't judge the brothers in the church that do. And if you do, don't judge the brothers in the church that don't. That's Christian liberty. That's what liberty means. We have the freedom to do as our consciences tell us that we ought to do to please God. But we don't judge one another. And that's the same with this subject. You know, some argue since God told Adam... Now remember, the devil had a verse for jumping off the temple. The snake handlers had a verse. And there's verses for most anything in the Bible. I'm going to try to quote a verse that's used out of its context for every one of these issues that I bring up. Some argue that God told Adam and Noah that they ought to multiply and replenish the earth. Have you read those verses? Now see, I just gave it away by saying Adam and Noah. Did you know that twice in the Bible it says multiply and replenish the earth? But it's, those words were uttered to Adam and Noah. How many people were there in the community when Adam had the words given to him? None. I mean, Adam and Eve. How many when Noah heard those words? Eight. Well, now when we've got seven million, I mean seven billion, it's a little different subject. Those words weren't addressed to us, or the Apostle Paul would have snuck them in to a couple of his, his epistles to Gentile churches that we need to multiply and replenish the earth. When I look around, the earth is well multiplied and it's quite replenished. And I've done my share. And I'm not trying to be funny, but I've done my share and a number of you are doing your share. Amen. And glory to God if we can train them to fear the Lord and to marry those that fear the Lord. Right. May the Lord be praised if we can do that. Some will argue, since children are a blessing from the Lord, we shouldn't hinder him giving them to us. Well, the Bible says children are a blessing, but too many of them are not a blessing. Too many of them would be a burden. For instance, the Bible says promotion cometh not from the north, the south, the east, or the west, but it cometh from the Lord. Is there a time when a Christian should turn down a promotion? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Right. If it's a promotion that would tempt you, try you, or make your life more difficult, the Bible says... And listen to this warning. I would have you to be without carefulness. In 1 Corinthians 7, is marriage good? Marriage is better than children. God didn't make Eve to be a mother. God made Eve to be a wife. Marriage is better than being a mother. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul said it would be better in that particular situation for a woman not to be married because she could care for the things of the Lord instead of the things of her husband. Well, now, if Paul would say that about one man who's grown up and picks up his toys, well, sometimes he picks up his toys after him, what would Paul say about a woman who not only has that man to take care of, but 13 little children running around? How can she live a life without carefulness? 1 Corinthians 7.32, that's the wisdom of God's word. I would have you to be without carefulness. Some argue that since children are a blessing from the Lord, he'll provide no matter how many. Really? That is tempting the Lord. That is the same, the same reasoning that says, I have Psalm 91, let's plunge off the temple because the Lord will provide for me. You cannot presume on the Lord that way by creating an unnecessary need in your family. More could be said on that subject, but I can't, I don't want to spend that much on that subject. I, in, the last, in the last month, 
I have been confronted by three different parties about this subject outside of our church. And so I wanted to address it. I believe we've all been taught on it, but if you have too many children, you are going to tempt the Lord by creating difficulties for yourself in a whole number of ways. Too many children will create a financial burden, and you will have to pray yourself out of a financial problem. Too many children will ruin a woman's health. See, it's always young women that don't believe in birth control. I've never met an older woman that ever held that position into her 40s because they've learned by then what happens to their bodies and how difficult it is to raise children. Too many children will ruin the romance that is more important than your children, and that's to have a loving relationship with your husband whom you're seriously defrauding by being pregnant most of the time. Remember, I have a right to speak on this subject. A little bit. Too many children will make it difficult or impossible for you to train them all well because training takes time. Right. Training takes effort. It'll bring too much care into your life. That's why I quoted 1 Corinthians 7.32, I would have you to be without carefulness. It's a wonderful verse. And it'll ruin your peace. How can you pray for the Lord to keep you in perfect peace if there's 13 children under the age of 16 running around in your house? The Lord will keep you in perfect peace who are making a few efforts on your own to provide some of that peace. And if you say, I don't like the way you're using Scripture, then go back and read Luke 4 again, because you must not have got the lesson. There was a promise of bearing him up in the hands of angels so that he wouldn't hit the ground, but Jesus wouldn't jump, because he, had, he could go down by the stairs. And we can help the peace in our homes by limiting the number of children. Enough said, I hope. Listen, if, we, if we're not, not going to practice any birth control, then our children, all ought to, our girls ought to all be married as soon as they hit puberty, and we ought to press them. And they ought to be taking fertility drugs so that they can have multiple births, and let's press them all the way to menopause, and we'll have some mothers with 40 children in here. But we'll bury them early. They'll be out there in the cemetery alongside the one that handled too many snakes. And, I, and I, there's a limit. And that's what I'm, listen, I don't care what you do. Don't. Don't do anything that even smacks of abortion. But if you want to practice family planning or birth control, that is your right to do so. And if you don't, that is your right to do so. We're not going to judge each other. My whole purpose tonight is, at some point, you start bumping into this other principle of God's Word, and it's here in Luke chapter 4, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Let's go to another one. Did you know that there are groups of people that don't believe in insurance? Mm -hmm. To buy insurance is to say that you're not trusting the Lord. Think about it. If we're going to trust the Lord to take care of us, why would we buy insurance? The Lord will provide for me. I don't need insurance. I don't need medical insurance. The Lord will take care of my needs. I don't need life insurance. The Lord will take care of my widow. And they'll, you know, you know how many verses there are in the Bible about the Lord promising to take care of us and feeding our children and the righteous. I've never seen the righteous begging bread. So they quote a verse like that. I don't need life insurance. You know, let's jump off the temple. Let's jump off the temple. That's abusing the word of God. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If you have the means of paying a small premium and having insurance, if you were to die or if you were to have some serious illness, that is what the Bible calls the prudent man foresees the evil and hides himself. A prudent man looks ahead and says, I could get in serious trouble with my big family if I didn't have medical coverage and I was laid up with something serious, so he buys insurance. The Lord will bless that man because that the prudent man foresees the evil before it happens and hides himself. How do you hide yourself from a medical catastrophe? You buy medical insurance. How do you hide yourself from an early death? You buy life insurance. How do you hide yourself from losing your automobile? You buy auto insurance. How do you hide yourself from your house burning down and you being homeless? You buy homeowner's insurance. Thank the Lord for wisdom. And it's all contained in Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Oh, but the verses that can be quoted on that are amazing. You know, the Lord may keep, does the Lord keep the city? Yeah. Except the Lord keep the city, 
the watchman waketh but in vain. Do you lock your doors when you go away on vacation? Because you're taking ordinary precautions. If someone really wants to get into your house, can they get into your house just as fast without a key as with a key? Yep, yep. Yes. But does the Lord expect us to take our ordinary precautions? Yep. Yes. We take the stairs down from the royal portico of the temple. We don't jump. And so we use some wisdom. And it's all contained in the precious words, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. There's other religious groups that don't believe you ought to use medical assistance or, mo or modern medicine in cases of illness. Some groups of charismatics and Pentecostals believe that if you really trust the Lord and Jesus is the great physician, that we ought to just commit the matter to prayer and watch the person die in front of us. But see, that's tempting the Lord thy God. We have means. Other, other generations didn't have the means we have. We have means they didn't have. They would have had to pray and leave it in the Lord's hands because they couldn't do anything about it. I mean, we've got a grandfather in here who had triple bypass. Now, that's a pretty complicated and serious surgery. We had some pretty serious knee surgery over here. They didn't have those means in the past. You have to put it in the Lord's hands. But when we've got the means, you go and take advantage of them. Some people in here would say they'd never have a triple bypass that they've got five or ten other ways that they could solve their heart troubles without it, and that's fine, that's their liberty. There's other people in here who would say, give me a quadruple because I want to make sure the fourth artery in case it clogs up. And we give them their liberty. Or do we, or do we all love each other in here? Yeah. We all have different views, brethren. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just crazy. If we went around this room, I already told you this morning, out of 80 people, we'd have 90 opinions on any one of these subjects. But we give liberty because the Bible doesn't address these things. Except it addresses this. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And if you're going to use something alternative, you better have a good basis for it rather than a few testimonials or rather than you don't like the medical establishment. I mean, just reason through this because I want to help all of you and I want to help me. In certain matters, I'm as unconventional as they come. In other matters, I'm conventional. It doesn't really matter. I have my own temptations. What we want to do is make sure that every single one of us remember the words from this night's message, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, right. which means we're reasonable and practical in all of our choices. We've had some births at home. You never hear me preaching about births at home. You know, I could find the Bible that most births were at home. There's only a few hospital births in the Bible. There's some stable births. There's lots of home births. There's some field births. We've had some home births, my wife and I have had, but you don't hear me pushing those home births. I don't want you to do a home birth. And we only did those after much consideration and care. And we had the phone number right there to ask for more more advanced help if we ever needed it and we did need it with the last one and we didn't need it but we called it anyway just for the comfort of ems arriving and that's a long story just to say this thou shalt not tempt the lord thy god our risks were very calculated and we were prepared to do whatever we had to to make sure that we were not taking unnecessary risks and you never hear us promoting that I hope you don't. If you do, come and tell me about it because we don't try to promote it. We don't care if you want an epidural upside down. We don't care if you want a C-section with a zipper sewn in so that you can just unzip and have the next one. We do. I mean, honestly. Honestly. My, now when I say we, I mean my wife and I because it doesn't matter. It's all a matter of liberty. We could have some zipper women in here, some epidural women in here, and home birth women in here, and guess what? We're all saved by grace and as long as you're not tempting the Lord your God in any one of those situations, you're right. Mm -hmm. For you and yourself before the Lord, we're not going to judge one another on any one of those things. That point that I just tried to make, I would call using abilities and prudence that God has given us to avoid trouble. Too many children can end up being trouble, and you don't know it till it's too late. Because, see, it was easy when I had a bunch of little kids. 
You know, I could, we could give them all a bath. We could line them all up in their pajamas and they would do anything daddy told them to do. They would stand there and salute at daddy like he was the world's greatest general as Napoleon would stride back and forth through our kitchen or our living room. All his little soldiers would salute. It's easy to be a daddy at that stage. Then they grow up. Oh, then they grow up. And I have, listen, if anybody misunderstands me, look at the front row. I am the most thankful father on the whole planet. But I am trying to preach to you that there are years in between that you don't want 45 of them. It was hard enough being trying to be a father to a few of them. I'm a very thankful father. And if anyone in here doubts that or even questions that, you don't understand me at all right now. I love all of my children. But I've been pressed by this subject through our internet contacts, and I, there's an answer for it, and I want to make sure this church is established in it. Right. You can go ahead and do whatever you want on that subject, but don't bounce into that commandment, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Don't put yourself in a predicament where you are violating other commandments. You can't keep up financially. You can't keep up health-wise. You can't keep up maritally. You can't keep the care out of your life because you've got too much on your hands with too many children. God expects us to have insurance to protect ourselves. He expects us to use the modern means of medicine, whether it's alternative or traditional, for your health needs. That's between you and the Lord. But let's not tempt the Lord our God in taking unnecessary risks in any area. To obtain things that we need. Let's, let's, talk, let's not talk about getting out of trouble anymore. Let's talk about attaining things that we need. For those of you who read 2 Samuel 15, when David had to flee Jerusalem because Absalom had taken over, and I think I may have mentioned this last Sunday, David's great counselor Ahithophel stayed with Absalom. And, and Ahithophel's wisdom was so great that when he spoke, it was as if the oracles of God were speaking. afraid of Ahithophel being with Absalom because Ahithophel's wisdom was so great he'd be able to defeat David. When David heard that Ahithophel had stayed in Jerusalem with Absalom, David prayed, Lord, defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. Right. But then in the next sentence, he called his friend Hushai, who was another counselor, and said, Hushai, I need your help. You go back to Jerusalem Pretend you're going to be Absalom's counselor like you've been mine, and you defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. And their two speeches are magnificent. If you like drama, if you like literature, go read the two speeches by Ahithophel and by Hushai. And Absalom believed Hushai because his defeat, because God was going to defeat him by David's prayer. But David used means. Are you following me? The whole point I'm giving you the story. David didn't just pray. David did something about it by sending Hushai back to lie to Absalom, pretending he was his good counselor, and give him advice that would protect David's life. And Absalom listens to this, and listen, Hushai's speech was magnificent. Hushai gets so worked up and uses such flowery language about the huge army that Absalom's going to raise and how invincible it will be. Absalom's just sitting there and his head swelling, thinking of how he's going to defeat his father. And so he says, we're going to go with the advice of Hushai. Now Ahithophel had never been countered in his entire life. He, he couldn't believe it. He's speechless. He turns around, he walks out, he goes home, puts his house in order and hangs himself. Now that's the Lord answering prayer. Right. He was David's counselor. And David said this prayer, Lord, defeat for me the counsel of Ahithophel. And before that day was out, Ahithophel was dangling on the end of a cord. He had hung himself. That is our God. Amen. We do believe in prayer. But brethren, David sent Hushai back to lie to Absalom. We believe in means as well as prayer. When I use the word means, that means there are things you can do to help yourself, and we ought to do those things while we pray for God to bless our use of those things. Right. If you need a job, you don't just sit and pray for God to send you one. Few human resource departments make house calls. You need to, go, you need to fill out applications, send out your resume, look at want ads, 
call employment recruiters, answer with telephone calls, send follow-up letters, and the Lord then will bless the effort. We do both. We pray in this church very practically. We pray for men to have jobs. We thank the Lord tonight for several jobs. But those men went looking for those jobs. They made efforts to get those jobs. And then we trust the Lord to bless those efforts. The Bible says, except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. And I make this point so many times, but I have to make it again. There are two parties working to get a house built. There are laborers. If you just trust on the Lord to build your house, it won't get built. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. The house is truly being built by laborers. The Lord does not pick up the hammer for the laborers. The laborers pick up the hammer and drive the nails, but the Lord blesses the job to get done. The laborers don't quit. The laborers don't have heart attacks. The laborers don't go on strike. Whatever the case might be, the Lord's blessing along with the laborers get the house up, and they get you a job. If we need a job, we ask the Lord to bless us. If you just pray for a job, and you sit around the house and moan and groan about being unemployed, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Are you following the lesson tonight? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If you need a spouse, we ask the Lord to bless our efforts to find one. We don't just wait. Four Wednesday nights, a little tiny book of the Bible named Ruth. Naomi said in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 1, I need to find rest for you, Ruth. I need to find rest. I need to be doing something. Hmm. He said he wanted you there the rest of the barley season. Hmm. He talked to you up there in the rest in the break room. Hmm. He gave you some of his parched corn and you brought it home to me. Uh, I know what we can do. Go take a bath. Go get your best dress. Anoint yourself with the best perfume that we picked up the other day. You know, you know where I am. I'm in Ruth 3. And so we do both. We do both. We cannot just sit back and presume on the Lord or we're tempting Him. We cannot do it all ourselves or we're tempting Him as well. Because do you know what it says in Psalm 127 and verse 2? It is vain for you to rise up early, to stay up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. If we try to do it all ourselves, we're also tempting the Lord our God. You say, now you're making it really difficult. You've got a rock and a hard place, and you want me to find the area between them where I can please the Lord, except they're not that close. They're this far apart. There's this whole area in here where you can be making efforts and asking the Lord to bless them. And even if the Lord doesn't choose to bless one of your efforts, He sees the efforts that you're making, and He'll bless you anyway. Because He wants to see the effort on our part that we're not tempting the Lord our God. When the Bible says, wait upon the Lord, it doesn't mean to pray and wait without doing anything. It means to go do what you can do and wait on the Lord to bless the effort. And sometimes it may take a while. But it doesn't just mean to sit and wait without doing anything that you could be doing. The Bible says, take no thought for the morrow. Does it say that? Could I show you those words? Take no thought for the morrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Is a savings account wrong based on that verse? Some people think that it is. You ought to live from hand to mouth. You ought to spend your paycheck. Because a savings account is wrong. It's not trusting the Lord. Because the Bible says, take no thought for the morrow. But what little creature do we have that's exceeding small in the earth, but it's exceeding wise? The ants. Do they have savings accounts? Yes, they do. Are we to go to the ant and learn something? Do they sit around waiting for the Lord to provide their food in the winter? No, they hustle all summer long. When you go look at ants, how many of them do you see kicked back on their backs, hands behind their head with their leg twitching a little bit because they're bored? Never. When do you see an ant on a lounge chair? When do you see an ant hands on the hip chewing the fat at the street corner? I mean, ants are just buzzing around all the time. 
they will just work and work. Have you ever watched one with something a little too big for it? I mean, they'll, they'll do their best to haul that little, you know, half a microgram piece of bread around, that little crumb. They'll be wrestling with it every which way, but they're frantic with energy. This side, that side, this side again, that side, this side again, and they'll just keep at it. And they'll store up food for the winter. And the Lord tells us, go to them. Don't listen to these people that say you're super spiritual if you'll just trust in me and take no thought for the morrow. Super spiritual is getting down and looking at the ants and realizing that the God of heaven, the spirit of all creatures that made the ant, wants us to learn from them on how we ought to conduct our lives. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If you don't set something aside for a rainy day, for a stormy day, or for future trouble, you're tempting the Lord your God. All of you that are in school, what if you haven't studied for a test and then you want to ask the Lord to help you pass the test? You are tempting the Lord your God. There's only one way that you get to ask the Lord to help you pass a test that you didn't study for. That's starting your prayer with these words. Lord, forgive me for being a lazy fool and not studying for this test. I will not do this again if you will give me the memory to remember this moment that I have been a fool for not studying for it. Now help me pass this test and I will study for every test from now on. Then the Lord will hear that prayer. But if you don't study and then you ask the Lord to help you pass a test, you are tempting the Lord your God. I want you to see how this little expression applies to our whole lives. Right. We don't take the whole burden on ourselves. We ask the Lord to help us remember what we have studied so that we can pass the test. If we don't like essay questions, we hope that the Lord will give us multiple choice when we ask him to help us pass a test. Or true and false. I got a brother up here who doesn't even like the four choices of multiple choice. We ask the Lord to help, but we don't ask the Lord when we haven't put in the efforts to study. I grew up in, I mean, I, I, grew, I grew up in certain ways too, but I attended the world's most unusual university I don't want to name any names. It's in this city. And in prayer groups at that university, I got so tired of having to sit there and going around the room and having prayer requests, and I'd see these lazy boys that like to play all day and never study asking for us to pray for them to pass tomorrow's test. That just ground me because I knew it was wrong. They weren't confessing that they were lazy, foolish playboys, and they didn't want to study. They just wanted us to pray them out of their own trouble. And that's tempting the Lord our God, and we don't want to do that. Brethren, we, when we get in this pulpit and ask for prayer, and you shouldn't be timid about it at all, we want prayer. Right. You're using means on Friday. You're using means on Friday to help that little boy's health. We trust the Lord. Right. We ask the Lord. They're using means. Newell's using means insurance, other ways of getting it paid for, and we trust the Lord to bless the doctors. And when, when you're in school, you make sure you study, then you ask the Lord to bless you. You prepare for interviews and ask the Lord to bless you. You prepare for reviews with your employer and ask the Lord to bless you, and he will. Don't just ask the Lord to bless you without some preparation. You're tempting the Lord your God. What about child training? Think about child training for a minute. You tempt God if you pray or presume that God should give you a happy family and you are not making the efforts that you should to train your children. Think about that. Child training. If you do not practice what the Bible tells you that you ought to do to have obedient children, then you are tempting the Lord your God to expect Him and to get upset with him when he doesn't perform at your beck and call and give you the family that you think you deserve. We have to use the means God gave us and ask the Lord to bless those means. Because guess what? Every single parent in here is incredibly imperfect. Incredibly imperfect. And we need the Lord's blessing to take our imperfect efforts and bring out some good children. But you got to do both. You are tempting the Lord your God otherwise. What about any blessing in your life? 
What if you want to walk closer to the Lord? You want to learn His Word like I read to you this day from Psalm 119. You want to have the joy in your spirit that our brother Charlie described to us tonight. You want that. You pray for it, and you expect the Lord to give it to you. But you are in an unhappy marriage where you are not loving your spouse the way you should. You are tempting the Lord your God. What about coming to the Lord's Supper this next Sunday evening? And we do not search our hearts and try ourselves before the Lord. And we come in and we take the cup and we take the bread. We are tempting the Lord our God. Deuteronomy 6.16 Hear me, brethren. Don't be wayside hearer. Don't be a stony ground here. Don't be a thorny ground here. I'm getting every one of you. I'm getting every one of us. Don't expect the Lord to bless you with spiritual blessings or other blessings if you're cheating in your marriage by not loving your spouse the way you should. Don't expect the Lord to give you a happy family and obedient children if you haven't tried to consistently apply the Word of God about child training and where you failed to confess it as a sin. We want to use our, I got to move on. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God by undergoing unnecessary risks. Um, this is totally a different aspect of the whole thing, and I hope you won't forget what I've already said. It's always a danger of having more than one point. You know, keep it simple, stupid is a method of communicating to people. It's called the KISS method of communicating to people. Keep it simple, stupid. And so more than one point runs the risk of getting a little too complicated. But I hope you've heard everything I've said. Let me quickly say this. I, called, I said the sermon was entitled Birth Control, Job Hunting, and Skydiving. Now before anyone gets alarmed, I'm not condemning all skydiving. All I want to do is have you, when you go and you pay your 50 bucks, to be able to jump out of an airplane with a parachute in your back, that you will have thought about Deuteronomy 6.16, and I'll be a happy pastor, and the Lord will be a happy Heavenly Father. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Now, if you go in there, and it's a real rickety, rickety plane, and they give you a parachute, and you see stamped in the side, 1943. <laughs> and you go out there, and the plane quits while it's taxiing for takeoff, and they put you into another plane, that they said hasn't been flown in a while, I would say get out and lose the 50 bucks because you believe Deuteronomy 6.16 and you don't want to tempt the Lord your God. Now there's only one brother in here that I know that's a skydiver. And he didn't go take that risk by choice. And it's Brother Michael. Well, he did. he's back there wanting to remind me that he volunteered for the U.S. Army Airborne. But he was already in the army, and the choice was to go defend our country. He would rather do it jumping on the enemy than having them jump on him. So he was, in, he was a skydiver. He used parachutes. But he assumed a risk that God told him to assume for the protection of our nation. And there's several in here that, in their fantasy mind, would have liked to have been paratroopers. I know that about some of the men in here. But see, that's different than going out for sheer pleasure when there's no necessity to jump out of an airplane with a piece of plastic on your back that's supposed to slow you down enough that you don't end up in a wheelchair. <laughs> and so everybody needs, and I'm not condemning skydiving, please, no emails about skydiving. If you want to go skydive, just make sure the plane can get you in the air and it looks like it was made in the last 10 years. The, the bag that you put on your back, that there might be a, a safety one. I don't care. Just, just remember, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. It can apply to motorcycles. There are some people in here that could drive a motorcycle. There are some people in here that could not drive a motorcycle because there's a difference in temperaments. There's a difference in risk-taking. And so everybody should remember those things. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. If some people in here had a motorcycle, how could godly parents pray, Lord, protect my son? Are you all with me? Some people in here would. We would call them old ladies on their, on their motorcycle. They would have a good time. They'd be safe. And it would be safe for them to have one. I I'm not trying to be foolish. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. But I want you to think with me how wide this little principle applies to our lives. Thou shalt not tempt 
the Lord thy God. Motorcycles are dangerous. And I'm not going to go into that because I'm not teaching a driving safety class. I love riding a motorcycle. I love motorcycles, but they are something that everyone should think about very seriously in the light of that verse. You know, we live in an age of what's called extreme sports. No one is happy any longer with ordinary activities because they are all so unhappy. So they are looking for some satisfaction or thrill in something extreme. Right. Do you know what the real extreme thing that's, getting, that's just getting rolling in this country, but it's already caught on in Japan? It's chat room suicide. Now, it's, it's pretty extreme. It's pretty extreme when you'll get a chat room going together and you will commit suicide and be telling the other party, you know, typing as long as you can while you die. The Japanese like things like that. You know, they liked it in World War II and they're doing it again. Now that's extreme. And there's extreme sports in our country because an unhappy generation of foolish children are looking for thrills because they are empty, totally empty on the inside because they do not know their creator and they have turned their back on him. And so he has turned them over to do those things which are not convenient. And the only ones you get to see are the ones that are still alive or are not in traction. Remember that. If you ever turn the TV on and say, well, this looks safe. They all look happy. You need to write an email in and ask how many broken bones each one of them has had and how many more like them are laid up at home right now while you're watching those perform. It's because they're unhappy. We can have joy in the Lord that far exceeds doing a triple flip on a dirt bike off a mountain that was covered with snow trying to land in a rowboat that's already underwater. Now that's what they call sport. And to do it with roller skates on and your arms crossed holding an apple in your mouth. And they call it an extreme sport. And some of you know what I'm... T it's a nation gone to seed. Okay, the reason I bring all of that up, there's a whole lot of temptations out there that the only way to have fun is to go out there and push the edge of the envelope. Do you know how the Bible translates the words, push the word, push the edge of the envelope? Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. That is the translation of pushing the edge of the envelope. That expression is, was, was, was first coined by Air Force and Navy pilots who have to push the edge of the envelope. But now Americans think that teenagers ought to push the edge of the envelope by taking their skateboard and trying to go down the wall of a 10-story building. That's extreme, and it's foolish, and it's, and it's tempting the Lord their God. I hope that all of you will weigh everything like motorcycles, skydiving, extreme mountain climbing, I said, extreme mountain climbing, and other dangerous activities that greatly elevate the probability of serious injury or death. And I just mentioned a cup three, but there's many. There's all sorts of things that we can do, and we don't want to do them if they would violate tempting the Lord our God. And brethren, you don't need a fleece. This is a little tiny bit off the subject, but you don't need a fleece. Right. When somebody starts talking about, I need a fleece, they've misunderstood the whole story of Gideon. Gideon was not a man of faith when he was talking about fleeces. Gideon was a man of faith when he finally got his 300 lined up in three companies and said, boys, grab your trumpets, break your, break your, uh, your torches open, and let's, let's bust down into camp and take on these 150,000 Midianites. A fleece is not how God shows us his will. Do you know how God shows us his will? Through the precious word of God, through a multitude of counselors, and by the wisdom that he's already given you. You are tempting the Lord your God when you say, give me a fleece. Okay, you want to know whether you should get a motorcycle or not. So you say, Lord, I'm going to go out in the morning, and if there's a cat on the front sidewalk, I'll know that you want me to get a motorcycle. Well, you know that a cat's there every morning. So you go out, and there's a cat there. What have you proven? You've proven nothing. Don't talk about fleeces. People, I've heard it, I've heard it all my life. 
These are people that don't understand their Bibles. Gideon was not a great man for using fleeces. Gideon was a weak man for asking for fleeces. Do you know what God did to other men who asked for fleeces like Gideon did? How about Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist? Yeah, and there's more, there's more examples like that. Gideon was not a hero asking for a fleece. And if you ask for something and then it's there, how do you know that it's the Lord that put it there? Right. How do you know it's not the devil that put it there? You know, the only way you can know is right here. And a multitude of counselors, because God has provided, especially in a church like this, you can have a multitude of counselors that will save you and you don't need a fleece. Amen. Brethren, let's make sure that as we operate our whole, all of our financial lives, that we make choices that protect us from having to ask God to deliver us from a predicament. What does that mean? Be conservative. Did you know that being conservative is just being wise? Right. Because you're tempting the Lord your God to take unnecessary risks and get yourself into a predicament where you've got to have the Lord get you out of it. Now, if you confess that sin, the Lord will help you get out of it. But the Lord doesn't want us to make those choices foolishly and get ourselves into trouble. Remember with prayer. Prayer is, prayer is to be kept in its proper place, that we are to make the efforts of, with the means that God's given us, and we ask the Lord to bless those means. Remember when we looked at the life of Abraham, I think it was last Sunday, he had 318 trained servants going after four conquering kings. He didn't try a frontal assault during the day. He split the 318 up into divisions, and he attacked at night. And he trusted the Lord to bless his strategy, and the Lord did. Please remember that. That when you have something to do, you use the wise means that God's given us. He's given you intelligence. He's given you counselors. And he's given you the book of wisdom. Then we ask the Lord to bless. Satan quoted the Bible. You are going to meet people that can quote the Bible. Take up serpents. Mark 16, 17. Take no thought for the morrow. Mark, I mean, Matthew chapter 6. Psalm 127 and 128. Children are the blessing from the Lord. You're going to hear these verses quoted, and yet I want you as, as this church to remember Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So all of those verses and all the other ones that they can raise must be understood in light of the limitation of thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. May the Lord bless you to love the Lord Jesus Christ for the way he was able to handle the devil. May the Lord bless you to remember that little expression, that little verse, Deuteronomy 6.16, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And may the Lord bless you to remember that Jesus used our method of Bible study and not the popular method used in churches today. And may he bless this sermon to bear fruit in your lives that we will live holy and wise lives and not tempt the Lord our God. Amen.